Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, along with my brother Darren. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about root pits and root digs, just getting below the surface of the soil and finding out what's going on there. If you've got a question for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. Well, we have been getting a tremendous amount of emails in and uh, and and notes on Twitter and everything. Just a lot of questions coming in. So we wanted to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right away. Let's do that right now. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right. So our first one here is from Scotty, who says, "What product do you guys recommend for spraying leaf hoppers in alfalfa?" My dad said he heard a clip from your Ag PhD stuff. Uh, and it was like $2 an acre or something, but he couldn't remember the product. Well, Scotty, what we usually talk to people about is a generic lambda. So that would be a pyrethroid, similar to serpent, warrior, asana, something along those lines. One of those, what we would call second generation pyrethroids, that'll do a great job. And yeah, the full rate costs about $2 an acre. The key thing I would say with alfalfa, and Darren, I I wanted to hear what you thought about this, but I always tell guys, look, right after you, let's put it this way, seven to 10 days before you're going to cut, you should be out there scouting, if not earlier than that, because you want to spray at least seven days in advance. With most of these products, they have a seven-day pre-harvest interval for that alfalfa. So you got to get to it then because where we get most of the calls is either right at cutting or right after cutting when guys say, hey, my, I'm not getting good regrowth then after the cutting. So you want to get those bugs under control early rather than late. Yeah, and the big thing is if you're seeing the bugs as you're cutting the hay, you're too late. You already lost on that on that crop. And now, yeah, you're waiting until you get bales picked up, and that's another few days that they're going to be eating on whatever growth is left, and it's it's just a bad deal. So you're right. You've got to plan your scouting so you know when you're going. If you're on a 28-day cutting interval, that's great. Two weeks into it, get out there and get scouting. I don't have a name on this next question, but they're asking with in regards to high pH soils, why don't you just use an acid to lower the high pH soil? So like nitric acid, for example. Well, look, the reason why we don't talk to people about, oh, let's just go buy a whole bunch of acid. Let's bring a semi-load of acid into the farm and go spray that out on the field is because it's ridiculously dangerous. We, we can't have, high, I mean, farming is already one of the riskiest professions in the world. We're dealing with danger every day and we got to minimize that. So that's the number one reason. The second reason is cost. You can only spend so much money Otherwise, you're going to have a problem on your farm. You're going to go broke trying to fix that high pH soil. And the third thing is, keep in mind, any acid that's thrown out there, that's the Band-Aid approach. Where I'm going with this is we got to figure out, well, why did the pH get high in the first place? I don't think when they broke the prairie 100 or 150 years ago or whenever it was that it was terribly high pH in most areas. The pH was probably okay. Something has happened since then. Usually it's a drainage issue related to salt, sodium, 
I, I mean, there are problems that come from that. Maybe it's too high in magnesium and that drives the pH up. But anyway, we got to figure out what's the root cause of the problem and address it from there. All right, next one here comes from Caleb. He said, hey, guys, enjoyed your show yesterday talking about drought-proofing crops. Even though we get a lot of rain, it's not uncommon for us to have a couple of months without rain in the summertime. Combine that with 100-degree heat and light soil, and you can imagine how that turns out. Anyway, he just said uh, compaction, reducing compaction. He wanted to add that to our conversation and running some deep tillage, like with strip till, breaking up lower compaction layers. That's been huge for them. Uh, also, he says here, I've got a question about lime. He said, this spring we applied variable rate lime to a target pH of 6.5 on a cornfield. Now I've been taking soil samples and I see my pH has dropped down to 5.5. Now I'm used to seeing it drop, but I believe it's starting to affect our nutrient availability. Our N, P, and K tissue tests are on the low side of sufficient. Um, as you are probably thinking, our micronutrient levels are great. The corn still looks really good, but I don't like my pH reading that low. The CEC is around 4. We've applied 330 units of N, including 250 pounds of ammonium sulfate at planting. Does that have much to do with it? And what are your thoughts? And also with this knowledge, should I raise my target pH for corn for next year? Caleb, this is a common question we get. First of all, your soil pH is going to drop during the summertime when there are lots of roots out there because they're releasing organic acids or chelating agents, as a lot of people will call them. So that is very, very common. The second thing is when you lime, that lime doesn't immediately change that pH. It's going to over time, but it might take three years for the lime you've applied to get fully used up. So I wouldn't get too terribly worried about all this stuff. Uh, I, I think you just have to continue to monitor it each year and go from there. The final thing I would say is when you drop your pH down to 5.5, that has little impact on your NP and K avail availability. At a 5.5 pH, you still have pretty good available NP and K. No big concern there. Now, if we were having major micronutrient issues or something like that, okay, maybe I'm starting to see, yeah, we needed to bump that pH more. But I think what you're doing is along the right path. I think you're going to end up being fine. And I'm going to assume that this fall when you test, your pH certainly is not going to be 5.5 anymore. But when you have light soil and lots of rain, you have to continually work on that pH to try to keep it up. Darren, do you have any other comments? I agree that it takes a little while for lime to break down fully and and do the change that it's going to do in the soil. So I would take a look at the lime sample and just see how fine is that grind? Are we getting enough quick activity? Is it a coarse grind that's not really available as much the first year as we'd like it? And then if so, are there some other sources you could get? All right, well, today on the show, we will be talking about root pits and root digs, and we'll be getting to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag later in the show as well. Again, if you've got a question for us or you want to just talk about anything that's happening on your farm, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? 
Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here. We're talking today about root pits and root digs. And so basically, if you think about a root pit, what we talk about a lot of times is just going down, let's say three, four feet in the ground and digging a hole in your field. Then taking a look at your root systems, seeing what you have for compaction and how everything looks there. So that's our, our main topic today. But as always, we're happy to answer your phone call and talk about whatever you would like to discuss today, agronomy related. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. Well, first on the show, we've got Brent Bruland. He is with Environmental Tillage Systems and the Soil Warrior. Brent, how you doing today? Do we have Brent there? There we go. Uh, Brent, I think we got you now. How, how are things going for you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Brian? Excellent. So uh, when we talk about root pits and root digs, what could a farmer expect behind strip till compared to conventional till or no-till? Because I'm sure you've been out in a lot of fields. You see difference below the ground. What, what Tell a farmer what he would see, he or she would see, you know, just that with that difference with strip-till versus the other systems. So one of, the, one of the biggest things you'll be able to see right away is, and not just between strip-till and other systems, but between the type of strip-till you're doing is your root development. So, you know, are you hitting a hard pan? Um, did you run a shank or something during wet conditions and maybe you have sidewall compaction? So your roots are only growing one direction. Um, there's a lot of things, like you said, get out there and dig. Well, first is get out of your pickup, get into the field. Second is dig and then dig a really big hole if you can bring a backhoe or a skid loader out. Um, so, you know, looking for things that you may not be able to correct for this year, but you may be able to correct for next year is really key. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so many of the things that we look for out in fields are about fixing it for this year. Weeds, insects, diseases. But I, yeah, I agree 100%. It's, it's so educational when you walk out in that field and you can see what's going on below ground. So like one of the things for us with strip-till is we, we placed some fertilizer a little bit deeper. And also we've gotten, with our strip-till machines, running maybe just below the, the, the top hard pan. Because we've had some hard pans at even three or four inches in the past. Well, if you can break that up, now your roots get down just a little bit deeper. Is, do you commonly see that thing too? Oh, we do. We do. And, and what seems to happen with strip till after a couple of years, your, your soil gets conditioned and um, you lose those hard pans and your roots have a lot easier time to get through that. And maybe if you're doing a, a deeper pass with the strip till machine, after a few years, you don't have to run as deep or as often with that deep system. Um, so some of the other things we like to look at, and it's tough when you're using actual fertilizer, but is your fertilizer distribution right after you do your strip till. Yep. So maybe your maybe your plants, you know, are, are just emerging and you're out there digging. It's pretty tough to see some of the fertilizer once it's in the soil, but but we have some simulated uh, artificial fertilizer that we often use in research and with the universities, and you can see the distribution left to right and up and down. And you know, did I get it in a band? Did I get it dispersed throughout that whole zone? You know, am I going to burn roots because I did get it in a hot band and it's right in the seed zone? So a lot of things you can look at even early on. Yeah, absolutely. We always encourage people at least do some digs every year, some root digs. See, you see what's happening below ground. I, I don't think we give enough credit to what does happen below ground because we walk out in fields, especially like corn. You look at this enormous corn plant and we often forget that there's as much mass below ground as there is above ground with most plants like corn. So that corn root system can be massive. It's just the question, is it massive? Is it doing a good job for you? Uh, Brent, Brent, any last comments you got for us today? No, I just uh, I hope that we get some rain across the Midwest here and, and hope everybody's having a prosperous uh, July so far. So thanks for having us on. You bet. Great talking to you again. That's Brent Bruland with Environmental Tillage Systems and the Soil Warrior. Uh, next, let's head down to the state of Mississippi. we got Trey Kroger on with us. He's an agronomist down there. Trey, how are you doing today? We're doing well, Brian. How are you doing? Excellent. So when you get to the middle of the summer down there, do you do many root digs with farmers? And if so, what are you commonly seeing in those? What are you learning from those? Brian, unfortunately, we really don't do nearly as much root digging as what we really should. Um, I'm not, not saying that some of the university folks, you know, from a uh, fertility placement or soil morphology standpoint, or I'm sure they're doing uh, some, but from a, uh, out in the field grower situations we really don't do nearly as many root digs or root evaluations as what we really should so when you're doing the few that you're doing what's probably the biggest thing that stands out to you is it compaction is it root feeding is it uh just how the roots proliferate where they're going i mean what what's what's the biggest thing that stands out uh overall i would say compaction is is still our biggest um, root issue from the standpoint of um, uh, water infiltration, nutrient uptake, um, limited root growth, the root's limited ability to get to nutrients simply due to compaction. Inherently, pretty much across the board, we don't have very much organic matter down here. Um, you know, 
very hot soils. You know, we we uh, do still do a fair amount of tillage, uh, not as aggressive as we used to, uh, and also not as deep as we used to. So, I think compaction would probably be the the most viable thing we would see from more root digs. Is it more a layer in the soil or is it more I've got compaction right in the row where it's sidewall compaction and something limiting the roots from growing out? Probably um, if you take the traffic rows out of the equation it's probably going to be more down the middle of the road just from inherent soil compaction issue. Yep. Uh, you know we still do like a fair amount of let's say shallow tillage we still grow up a lot of our soils, we plant just about everything up on a row, you know, from our cotton, uh, corn, um, soybeans, rice, obviously a different uh, situation entirely. But uh, a lot of ours is going to be probably not as much sidewall compaction, but what it's going to be is more just in the row or, or between the rows, uh, soil compaction. A lot of silt loam soils, uh, heavy clays, is not going to be as, as much compaction there, but uh, a lot of our silt loam soils, I would say our biggest issue, just from a root evaluation standpoint, is going to be soil compaction. Okay, so when we talk about that evaluation below ground, do you learn more doing it with a cornfield, a soybean field, a cotton field? I mean, does it make a lot of difference? Where where are you learning the most? Which crop? I'm going to say probably corn is what we're, where we could stand to learn the most. Uh, and, and soybeans and cotton probably, you know, let's say they're just practically tied for a second. Uh, we still grow a lot of soybeans on our mixed to heavy clay, so it's not going to be as much of an issue there. A lot of our lighter soils are more silt loam soils, coarse texture soils are going to be you know, more corn, and, and we're, our cotton acreage, our acreage is coming back. You know, but I'm going to say a lot of that compaction evaluation is probably going to be more highlighted on corn acres. Hey, Trey, let me switch gears on you for just a second since we got just a little time left. I, I was just curious, how is the crop looking down your way this year? Uh, as a whole, we're off to a much better start this year than we have been the last three. Uh, we've had just unmercifully wet uh, springs. Uh, and we had some challenges this spring, but not nearly as, as bad as what the last three have been. So as a whole, we're off to a better start than what we have been. Um the crop as a whole, uh, again, there are exceptions, and there's still late planted crop around, but uh, as a whole, the crop really looks pretty good. We've been getting some fairly general rain. Some places have been getting more rain than what they, they wanted, especially, I will say, in the North Delta. Um, South Delta, there's probably some places that have not gotten as much. There's some places they've been catching rain about every three to five days. So it depends where you're at, but as a whole, our crop's off to a better start than what it has been the last three years. We have not dealt with nearly as much flood water, backwater uh, flooding uh, in in my area of Mississippi as what we have the last three years, which has been catastrophic yeah. to a lot of people. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. It's been that way, it seems like, over massive areas the last three years. So, well, that's good to hear. Again, we've been talking to Trey Kroger. He's an agronomist down in the state of Mississippi. Trey, thanks a lot for the time today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Brian. Take care. You bet. You do. All right, well, we will continue talking about root pits and root digs and some of the things you might be able to learn from that by doing that on your farm this year. Also, if you've got any questions for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show. Stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio.
More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Endzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Endzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Endzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. With resistance on the rise, fighting disease in corn and soybeans takes a heavy-duty fungicide with super strength. Zolera FX from UPL combines two powerful fungicides at full rates for maximum performance and yield. Zolera FX delivers more robust disease control with both curative and preventative activity. And Zolera FX is now registered for use in wheat. Ask your UPL representative or retailer about Zolera FX, a super fungicide whose time has come. Always read and follow label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Thanks for joining us here today on Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty. We're talking a little about root pits and root digs today. Next on the show, we've got Eileen Kladivko. She is with University, or I should say Purdue University. Eileen, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. Thank you. You bet. All right. So when you talk to farmers or agronomists out there about what to look for with roots, what are some of the things that kind of stand out to you in corn and soybeans? Well, first of all, if you're going to dig a pit, then you usually want to know how deep the roots are growing. Um, Certainly you ought to be able to have roots at least uh, three foot deep or or so. Um, And I also suggest that they look at the 
the form or the shape of the roots. Um, if there's some real compaction, then they may see roots going down and then going horizontally for, <clears throat> for a while until they find a crack and then they move down again. So, so that's something you want to look for. Um, I also suggest people look for uh, channels of earthworms or cover crops and are the roots of the corn and soybeans following those channels. <clears throat> and you can usually tell those channels because of the darker uh, the darker lining in those channels. And so uh, that's always a good sign if you've got roots following uh, biological, other biological channels. Okay, so after being in a root pit and you talk to the farmer or agronomist, what's the number one thing or number two thing that you would say most people look at it and they go, oh, I have to change this. What do they change then with their management practices? Well, if there's a probably a compaction layer, um, and then they would they would think about how they're going to change um, tillage practices. Um, if they're if they're doing tillage, uh, maybe they see that oh maybe I'm really doing too much tillage and I'm I'm getting a, a plow pan or a tillage plant pan of some sort and um, I need to do something about that. Or and or the other one is uh, growing some deep-rooted cover crops to help. Um, so even if a person's in no-till, they may still have some little bit of a compaction area. And if they see roots traveling down channels of other roots like cover crops, um, that's probably one of the biggest things people kind of see. Is there anything unusual that you've ever found or seen by digging root pits? So you're out there and you're looking at it and you go, oh, I don't, I don't see that every day. Anything uncommon you've seen? Well, sometimes you see animal burrows, um, you know, you may have, uh, or you may have a big hunk of organic matter that's down like two feet and you know that it didn't just get there, but it, it uh, crawled down, it fell down into an old animal burrow. So that's always kind of interesting to see. <laughs> All right. Any other comments you have for us today, maybe on the importance of taking a look at roots and the importance of root digs? I think it's always helpful to get below the surface to see what's affecting your crop. And so when when you can do a, a root dig, I think you, you learn a lot more than what the initial effort is to dig that pit. And um, it can just help you learn how your, how your crop is growing and what might be hindering it below the ground that you wouldn't have thought of. All right. Before I let you go, I'm I'm just curious about out in your area, out in Indiana. How do how do things look? Anything you're talking to farmers and agronomists about right now this week? Overall, things are looking uh, really good, except that some areas have started to get quite dry, and so whether they got that thunderstorm or not seems to make a, a big difference. We're not in any kind of crisis mode yet, but uh, most people would like a little bit of rain right now. How about anything from the agronomy side, not weather related, weeds, insects, diseases, anything popping up this year that's really troublesome? Um, not that I'm aware of, but I'm not the one who gets those calls. Um, so, and, and we just had a, an extension meeting this morning and I did not hear that there was an unusual amount of that. Um, 
but I would not be the first person to know that. <laughs> well, we talked to a lot of people from Indiana, quite frankly, each week, and I hadn't heard anything else other than dry. Everybody keeps talking to me about dry. And yes, when I look on the drought monitor, there's a lot of Indiana that's affected by the dry weather. So let's hope you get some rain soon. Again, we've been talking to Eileen Kladivko yeah. with Purdue University. Eileen, thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. As we wrap up on this root pit conversation and root digs, I would just say I want to take you back. I I think this is over 20 years ago now. It has to be where when we dug our first root pit on our farm, here's what the situation was. We had corn on a field that was rolling up. It was dry. It was hot. And it was the middle of the summer. It was sometime probably late July. And we just thought, oh, man, this is terrible. But let's go ahead. We'll dig this root pit here. The first thing I will tell you is we took our skid steer loader out into a field, and we wanted to get off the end row, so we had to basically destroy some corn. And this was in one of my dad's fields, and he was all mad because we destroyed a tiny little bit of his corn. (laughs) I go, Dad, how many plants could we possibly have ruined here? Even if it was 500, and there's no way it was even 500. Let's say it's 500. How much is that worth? He's like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. And I said, exactly. At the time, corn was worth a penny an ear, one penny an ear. So I said, here's five bucks, now we're even. Okay. So that's the first thing. Even today with $3 corn, every ear is probably worth two two cents. Okay. So if you destroy 500 plants, you know, what do you have? 10 bucks. It's no big deal. Okay. That was the first thing. Anyway, once we dug that root pit, here's what we found. We, We got down deep. And, you know, we could see almost right away compaction. We could see that there, the roots were growing in the top, especially six inches. Beyond that, we didn't have a lot of roots. We come out the next morning. And again, keep in mind, corn above ground rolled up. We come out the next morning in our, it was about a four-foot root pit. And at the bottom of the root pit, you know what we found? A pool of water. <laughs> There's all kinds of water below the ground that our roots weren't getting and we have corn that's literally dying. It's rolling up above ground. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand what's going on here. People can talk to you all day long about compaction and maybe have for years and years and years. But when you dig a root pit on your own farm, you see your corn dying. And then at the bottom of the root pit, you see the next morning all kinds of water puddled up because there is plenty of water down at the three-foot, four-foot level. And quite frankly, even at two feet, we decided we needed to make some changes. So we started doing some deep tillage. We use uh, basically straight shank, narrow points. We're not rolling the soil or anything else. We're basically just cutting some slices through there so roots can get down deeper. So we started getting a lot more deep root growth. The other thing is getting more fertility down in the soil. We started doing six to 12 inch, 12 to 18 inch, and even 18 to 24 inch soil cores from time to time and testing those and finding out we don't have squat below six inches. Well, that's a problem too. You look at some of the greatest corn producers in the history of the world, like Herman Warsaw back in the 1970s. Think about that. 50 years ago, guys raising consistently 300 bushel corn. Think about that. We're still shooting for that today. And here's a guy 50 years ago doing that. Francis Childs back in the 80s and early 90s, he's raising 400 consistently. I've got soil tests from both of those guys, and I can promise you what they had at 18 to 24 inches was even, well, it was really good. Let's put it that way. So their 18 to 24 inch looked like most guys' zero to six inch samples. We wanted to get more fertility down deep. 
We wanted to get more roots down deep because the moisture's already there. So this is one of the things we were just talking about a little bit yesterday with drought proofing your crop. If you can get roots down deeper in the soil, they're going to have access to that, that good moisture. So I, I would just say when you're out there this summer and you're looking above ground stuff, and I get it, that's all great, and you want to check for weeds and insects and diseases and all these other things, that's all fine. But please, on your farm, just at least in one spot in a field for corn and one spot in a field for soybeans or whatever else you're raising, sunflowers or dry beans or cotton or any crop you're raising, do a root dig, do a root pit. I mean, especially like for us, when we go out, you can go out with a backhoe or a skid steer loader, but get down four feet in the ground and then just literally stand there and look. Dig around a little bit, but stand there and look. You're going to learn a lot. I will promise you that. So this is an important thing. We do some of this every single year, and I would just encourage you. You don't have to do a whole lot, but at least do a little bit. It will be an educational experience for you. All right, we're going to get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. With resistance on the rise, fighting disease in corn and soybeans takes a heavy-duty fungicide with super strength. Solera FX from UPL combines two powerful fungicides at full rates for maximum performance and yield. Solera FX delivers more robust disease control with both curative and preventative activity. And Solera FX is now registered for use in wheat. Ask your UPL representative or retailer about Solera FX, a super fungicide whose time has come. Always read and follow label directions. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rose? 
Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty, joined again by my brother Darren. We're going to get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. Our next question comes from Grant. He says, I've got a quick question. I'm taking leaf samples each week in my wheat, barley, and beans. At what stage or growth point do I stop taking the samples? Darren, you want to handle that one? Well, Here's one of the things that I think is interesting when you talk to a lot of the really high-yielding growers and you ask them the same question. Some will have a, a limit for you. Well, I stop at this point. Others will say, you know what, I'm just going to continue taking it all the way as long as I have green tissue out there just to see what happens in trying to learn because it's not very expensive. Now, most growers would say once you get to that flag leaf stage, that's that's about as far as they're going to push it on wheat and with soybeans. Uh, you know, as soon as you get out to R5, that's about the time they'll quit, but it's really up to you how you do it. It's only 20 bucks a week to throw a sample in there, so it's it's not super expensive. Yep, so a lot of times the grass crops, we start immediately after emergence. With the broadleaf crops, we usually wait just a little bit, maybe two, three, four weeks, and then we go a little bit later in the season with the broadleaf crops than the grass crops, but again, you can do it all season long, totally up to you. Next one comes from Gene in California. He says... Uh, Guys, I've been watching your program for several years and continue to do so as a retired rancher farmer. Uh, I have appreciated your candor in past programs, and you raised the bar even higher in uh, your your last program about humic acid. He's just talking about humic acid here, and he just said your explanation of how it works— Its limitations, its benefits was exemplary. This day and age of fake news, hype, overstatement, and media BS, it was like a a breath of fresh air to hear you two gents say it like it is. Have either of you considered running for president? LOL. Uh, All the best, and please keep up the good work, Gene. Thanks for the kind words. Now, I I will say this. We're always going to be blunt. We're going to be direct. We're going to be straightforward about things, and we will often say things like, Many times you will hear people talk just about the good of something. We also want to talk about what are the downsides. Cover crops is one of the things that I I think of the most lately. Everybody's saying how great cover crops are, and I'm not going to disagree with that. But I just simply want to point out there are drawbacks. There are things you have to look at with that and everything else. Uh, All right, next one here comes from Dustin, who farms in Indiana. He says, I have sent some pictures in of corn that got speckled by a pre-emerge herbicide I applied to wheat wheat stubble ahead of DC, oh, double crop soybeans. Here's the bottom line. It was 2.7 pints of a generic paraquat, 6 ounces of Zidua Pro, a quart of crop oil per 100 gallons of water, and 20 gallons per acre of spray volume. I sprayed it uh, about 10 days ago. These pictures were taken a quarter mile away from the nearest application site with the same signs of minor damage up to a mile and a half away. Standing soybeans in the same area are not damaged at all, uh, just the corn. Have you ever heard of those chemicals walking? I have a hard time believing it's all physical drift. Thanks in advance and keep up the great work. Uh, Dustin, no. We've never seen 
paraquat moving anywhere. So that, that's definitely a no. In terms of Zidua Pro, uh, let's see, we've got, I got to think about what we got in Zidua Pro. You got Sharpen in there, you got Zidua, that's group 15. So, I, I mean, those things, they're not moving. So, yeah, it, and Darren, just to describe this speckling that he's got on here, when I first looked at it, I thought it was iSpot. But I mean, if it's if it's speckling from herbicide, I could absolutely see that. So a lot of times what we see with this is when a spray tank doesn't get cleaned out perfectly and a little bit gets get, gets going across the field. But then a lot of times we'll see patterns out there. So that's the first thing I would look for, Dustin, is maybe is there some kind of pattern in that cornfield where you could say, oh, okay, this ties to the sprayer. Or maybe it does tie to some spray drift application, but I, I just have a really difficult time believing that. Well, you find one little skip out in the field, and that will tell you a lot. Yep. Because if you skipped and you missed it and everything's fine, you know it was something in the tank. And also, when you find a spray skip and it still has the same problem in there, then you start wondering, wait a second, uh, is this someone else's problem that's made it out into my field? So, right. yeah, there's a lot of things to look at. I would suggest getting a drone or yeah. uh, looking at aerial imagery of the field, and that might help you pick out some of those patterns. Yep, that's a good idea. All right, next one is from Wesley in Kentucky. He says, I appear to be dealing with Roundup-resistant Johnson grass in my double crop soybeans. I sprayed the maximum labeled rate... Uh, of Roundup with 12.5 gallons of water per acre and 10 pounds of ammonium sulfate per 100 gallons, and it didn't touch it. I was wondering if you could give me any recommendations on how to control it. The beans have emerged and are about an inch tall. Wesley, let me first say pre-emerge in soybeans, we really like a full rate of trifluralin or prowl or sonalan. Those aren't going to kill all your Johnson grass, but they absolutely will give you suppression on Johnson grass. That's the best thing you can do pre moving forward to future years. Post emerge, we're probably going to talk to you about Select Max or one of those Clethodim products. Otherwise, if you happen to have Liberty crops, then you could use Liberty on there. And so in the future, what I would but do don't is... don't skimp on the rate. Don't right. skimp on the rate with any of full those rate. products that we talked about. Full rate, full adjuvants. Now, also, I would say this, Wesley. You said 12 and a half gallons of water. We never, ever recommend spraying more than 10 gallons of water with Roundup. Now, I, I'm not saying that's the cause of your problem here. But I am saying if you want better control on glyphosate... Anytime, use less water. So 10 gallons is the most we ever recommend. Well, when we've got, Brian, when we've got a burn down type application or soybeans that are one inch, they're, they're one inch now and this gets sprayed before that, we've got no plant mass out there to take this in. So that's our great time to use lower gallons of water and have concentrated droplets. Hey, Darren, we got Keith calling in from Virginia here about our discussion on drift to paraquat. Keith, go ahead. Yes, sir. How you doing today? Doing great. How are you? Have y'all diagnosed it as paraquat and not jet fuel? Jet fuel? Uh, well, let's put yeah. it this way. When he had soybeans right next to it and the corn wasn't speckled, that's what makes me question it's probably an application, a ground application somehow. I don't think it's a drift application, but I I. I I, I get what you're saying. There are things that, that fall out of the sky <laughs> that, that could cause <laughs> problems in some of our fields. Have it's you had that? And... Oh, go ahead, go Keith. Back. Have you have you had that issue before? Yes, 
Yes, in other words, we're, yes, in other words, um, anywhere near airports that's coming in that we've seen it to where they, before they go into land, that the jets have to dump fuel in order to be so light to get in on it. And we've seen this speckling, and I've seen it in corn, and I have it in the beans on the same farm. Yeah. So I don't know if the corn is just more susceptible to it, but that is a thought, you know, yep. outside, outside of drift, you know, from it. And it looks identical to gramoxone damage. That's an excellent point, Keith, and I, I don't know where Wesley lives. Maybe he does live by an airport, and maybe that would have something to do with it. It's just a lot of times what I've found is the guys that live next to the airport, they've seen it before, and they see it again, and you know, pretty soon you go, yeah, I think I know what's going on, because it happens to me on a fairly right. regular basis. Right. In order to be that far away from a, a mile and a half, you know, it's it almost got to be oh. you know, something along the lines of jet fuel, because we, we, we see it, we're in that path. Yeah, yeah, there's no way Paraquat is drifting a mile and a half. Uh, Hey, Keith, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate the insight. Thank you. You bet. All right, bye-bye. All right, had Frank call in wanting to know if we have any test plots we were planning to feature or discuss on this year's canceled Ag PhD Field Day or uh, basically any other thing we were going to reveal at our Field Day 2020. Uh, Frank, I would just say this. Darren and I decided we weren't going to have the field day back in March once COVID hit and it looked like things were going to be shut down for quite a while because we thought, you know, we'll get to the end of July. Things will be opened up, but a lot of people aren't going to want to travel. We typically have people from most of the United States, most states, many provinces in Canada, and really all around the world, and we just thought, there's no way. It's not going to happen. So we didn't put in all the plots that we normally do. We didn't invite farmers, other high-yield farmers, to come here, put their own plots in. So a lot of what we were going to show is not even at our field day site anymore. Now, I will say, we're doing plenty of research. I don't know that there's anything in particular that I can say right now that was going to be some big reveal this year at the field day. Darren, is there anything you can think of off the top of your head? Uh, not off the top of my head that that uh, we haven't been talking about already. So, yeah, yep. yeah we're, we're talking about a lot of these things uh, on a regular basis on the show. I got something interesting that I do want to talk to you about right after this break, though, so stay tuned. This is Ag PhD Radio. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. 
contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean and weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia Slant and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for joining us here at Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. Right before the break, I told you there was something that I wanted to discuss about the 2020 Ag PhD Field Day. What we were, One of the things we we're going to show that's unique is we worked with a company this last winter to develop some hanging spray nozzles, I'll call them, where basically we're going to shoot sideways into the canopy. And I personally believe this is the way to go with fungicide, insecticide, foliar nutrients, a lot of the biologicals. Because think about when the sprayer was developed. Why was it developed? It was to kill weeds. Well, the weeds are on the ground or in the ground, and we want to get coverage below a canopy and things like that. You don't want to shoot sideways. But with foliar fertilizer, with fungicide, with insecticide, with some of these biologicals, why would we not want to shoot sideways? If it gets on the ground, it's not doing me a whole lot of good. So let's shoot, shoot it sideways. So we're going to try this out in corn and beans, and we're going to see. But I, I just thought, well, that's something that's pretty unique because nobody else has anything like that. And Darren, as I was thinking about that, it just got me thinking about Thomas Jefferson. A few years ago at our Ag PhD workshops, our winter workshops, we had some things about the founding fathers and like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Well, with Thomas Jefferson, he had all kinds of great inventions like the swivel chair, moldboard plow, uh, seven-day clock calendar, storm windows, dumb waiter, uh, copying press. He didn't patent any of those things because he wanted them to be free to use by others. He was just so concerned about the good of the country and not his personal wealth. And and so anyway, I just when 
it was the 4th of July here just a few days ago. And so when you're looking at Mount Rushmore and they had the fireworks at Mount Rushmore and everything this year, and you look at Jefferson and Washington and the other presidents that are on there, and a lot of people want to talk about their faults, and that's fine. But let's talk about all the fantastic things that these people did and the way they led our country. I mean, just think about that. How many people in this day and age would say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about making money. I'm much more worried about the good of the country. So here here are some great inventions. You just have them. You copy them. You take it over. Would anybody say that anymore? I don't think so. All right, let's get back to the questions here. Uh, Next one comes from Christopher, and he says, Hi, will a soybean seed treatment help against iron deficiency chlorosis? Darren, you want to tackle that one? Well, here, this iron deficiency chlorosis thing has been an interesting discussion this year because there are a number of areas that have been wet for a couple of years, and now they've gotten some dry areas, and we're seeing a lot of salts. Now, can you get a seed treatment that can help with salt? Absolutely. Uh, There's one that we're actually using right now. We're putting heat shield on as a seed treatment and getting some better salt tolerance. It's It's not like unbeatable, but it helps a lot. As far as iron deficiency chlorosis, no. You know, we do more with infurrow <laughs> with ID. Right. Yep, infurrow iron, and then you, you can just, have you some. You just activity. can't put that much iron on a seed. Nope. Not not without hurting things. So infurrow is better. That's right. And then long term, look at fixing your soil. If you get the pH below seven, problem solved. All right. And, and drainage improved, Brian. That's the other thing. Don't just don't forget about that because we can have high levels of nitrates and all those kinds of things too. So that that's a big deal. Yep. But how often is is soil pH below seven and we have massive drainage issues for years? Not often. It can happen. But usually when drainage has been a problem, pH rises because there's more salt and more sodium. And now we get an issue. All right, next one here comes from Jerry. He says, in terms of nitrogen on alfalfa, I see from your fertilizer removal guide that 255 pounds of nitrogen is removed. It must be based on whatever his yield goal was. Anyway, how much nitrogen does the plant put into the soil? So that leads to the question of how much and when should should more be applied to the crop? Well, look, Jerry, keep in mind that when you have soil organic matter, that organic matter releases, and it all depends on where you're at, but in our region of the country, we figure 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for each 1% of organic matter. So we're going to get some free nitrogen just out of the soil naturally. So that's one thing that I would throw out. The second thing is, as a legume crop, alfalfa has the ability to put sugars out in the soil, and bacteria will, will feed on those sugars, and then they'll pull nitrogen out of the air and turn it into a form the plant can use. It's a symbiotic relationship. So a lot of times people aren't putting nitrogen on alfalfa. If you were going to do it, when would you do it? Well, you're cutting alfalfa in a lot of cases once a month. So when would I be doing it? I'd be doing it shortly after I I had a cutting out there. We have a lot of guys that do some fertilizer, but they aren't putting typically a whole lot of nitrogen on. Darren, have you had many guys trying nitrogen on, on alfalfa? Nope, I sure haven't. You know, you've got between organic matter breaking down, releasing, and giving free nitrogen that way, and the nitrogen the alfalfa is producing by itself. Yeah, haven't haven't really seen anybody doing that. All right, next question is, how can I reduce or eliminate lead content in the soil? Uh, 
I honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, my only thought is just trying to raise a good crop and it'll pull some lead out. Just as an interesting sidebar here, heavy there are heavy metal limits in soils. I've got the guidelines here from EPA on soils with a pH of 6.5 and above, and they say you can actually put 13 pounds of lead on your soil each year and you're still within EPA tolerances. And if you've got light soil, you can have a grand total of 133 pounds of lead per acre. And in heavier soils, 267 pounds of lead per acre. Darren, I don't know. That sounds like a lot to me. But, yeah, I, I don't really know a whole lot about lead in the soil and how we remove yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't know about lead remediation either. But I do know this. It's a very strong, uh, positively charged element. So if you've got something that you can combine with that. I, I'm not sure chemically what it's going to be. Perhaps it's a sulfate. I don't know. To try to flush some of that through, that would that would be my thought. But then again, how much lead do you want to flush through into the water stream? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It sounds like a bad problem. Yeah, sounds but, like a good piece of ground to just rent out to your brother. Well, yeah, but he also didn't say he has lead. Maybe he's just concerned about it or something. I, I really don't know. All right, uh, next one comes from Craig. He says, what do you think about running some boron through Y-drops? I'm short based on tissue tests. I'm thinking about running 0.3 pounds per acre, but I want to know if it's worth it or if I should just focus on dry fertilizer. I know I need to add a few pounds of boron based on soil tests. Should I add that dry boron in the spring next year? Uh, what's the best source for Y-drop application for boron as well. He says, we've had a lot of rainfall in my area this spring, but we have high yield potential as of now. Craig, let me just first say this. Boron is an important nutrient in plants. We know we need some. I don't think there's anybody out there that can tell you, hey, we need exactly this at each stage. There are a lot of people that are going to give you guidelines, but nobody can tell you exactly what it is. Nevertheless, if you want to put some some boron out there, if you're going to put it on the soil through Y-drops, it's going to take a little while to get into the plant. If you're short today, that's not going to help you today. So that's where a lot of people will do foliar feeding. So if you want to impact that boron level today, do some foliar. If you want to impact it in the soil, Y-drop is fine. Now we did just a little bit with our Y-drops. I'm going to say we did a pint or a quart, some minor thing. It wasn't any big deal. But to really boost our levels in our heavy soils where we don't have a lot of rain, we put on dry boron because it's way cheaper than the liquid. But it all depends on your situation. Darren, you got any more comment on that? No. No, I don't. I, I would just say this. Um, low rates, everybody's worried about too much boron. Unless you're in a really light soil, I'm not so much worried about too much boron. I'm just worried about getting it into the plant, and I want to have some availability throughout the season. And if I'm going to do that, having a dry in the soil in our heavy ground has been the best way we've found. All right. Uh, let's see. Last one here is from JR, and just a comment. He says, what an amazing show. I usually follow the permaculture movement and the hippies, but this should be mandatory to all of them. Uh, it is great to think outside the box, but you got to know what's in the box. The Hefty Brothers sure know what the box is made of. JR, thanks a lot for the comment. Really appreciate that. Uh, well, just kind of wrapping up on our show today, Darren, did you have any last comments on root pits or root digs for us? I would just encourage you, it doesn't take a huge backhoe. It doesn't take even a skid loader like we would use. It just takes a shovel. 
get out and do some digging around your plants and in between the rows to see where your root systems are at and get a better feel for things. And then just be gentle and careful as you're doing it. Have a bucket with some water so you can wash the roots off and you'll learn a lot this year and it costs nothing but a little bit of time. All right, before we go, we just want to say thanks a lot to our production staff. Our sister Janelle was running the controls today. Thanks to everyone who called into the show. Really appreciate that. And and thank you to everybody who wrote in with their questions. Uh, thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.